as we dive in, uh, this series is, is for us to, to aim for something. We aim to lean into all that God has for us. As we believe, this, this will be a monumental year for our church. Our goal is to embrace vision as we seek both personal transformation in Christ and the transformation God wants for our church and its mission. Now, we are well into our 21-day prayer and fast as a church. Can I tell you, Wednesday night, our prayer service, our family night that was dedicated strictly to prayer, it was just good. It was one of those nights where you, you one of those moments you walk out of church and you just went, wow, God was there. It wasn't, it wasn't that, that some, somebody was raised from the dead or there was just some miracle. It was just the miracle of colliding with the spirit that is God's spirit. It was beautiful. And so if you have not started your prayer and fast journey with us, it's not too late. It's not a start here or don't start at all. You can jump in today. You can join us today. We have social media tools um, so that you can follow along throughout the week. We have um, prayer guides. If, if you would rather follow along that way in the foyer, grab one after service. A fast is just really in a nutshell, it is giving something up so that you can spend that time, you can spend that energy um, with God. I can tell you every time I fast, I try to fast something that, that I almost physically feel it, um, that I almost go, why, why did I let go of that, right? And every time I ask myself that, I go, it's to pray. And even in that moment, I'll stop and pray for a moment. Now I have my time that I pray, I have my time that I get away and I spend just some serious energy and, and, and time and, and focus and that's my sole purpose. But every time that something, you know, I, I feel whatever it is, it's so that I'm reminded. This is my time to communicate with God. And so I would encourage you today, if you haven't started it, um, or maybe if you somehow fell off the wagon, it's okay. God loves you. You're not a disappointment. You can pick right back up today. Let's pray, and let's see God change our world through prayer. Amen? Amen. Um, I believe that we are, are dreaming big, for we know that God has big breakthrough on our horizon. When we agree together in faith, we know, we know that God is with us and through our faith, the broken can become healed. The ultimate healing is the healing from sin. It's the sin nature being healed. And that's what we're praying for first. We believe that God wants to save those that are far from him. And it starts with you and your story. It starts there. And prayer is the thing that launches it. Today, I want to jump straight into to, to the book of God, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and this will kind of launch us, project us into our, our word today. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, <clears throat> then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created, I'm sorry, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, the very first thing we read in God's word says this. In the beginning, God created. That's the, that's the very first line that we read. It's from the very beginning, there was creation happening. So the very first glimpse we get of our heavenly father is that the role of the creator. Now today, we are jumping into and digesting and, and really discovering what that role means for our relationship with God. And in that same chapter, we see where he created you and I, us. He gave us leadership over all he had created because he made us in his own image. We were made to be like him. 
Now, if we are to be like God, get this, if we're to be like God, the creator, we should create. I think that's the most simple thing that we could take away from the first few lines, the first chapter of God's word, that if he made us in his image, in his likeness, then if we're going to be like him, we should be creators. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, in our in today's age, we've got people like, I'm a creative. I'm not a creative. We're all creative somehow. Some are creative with numbers. Some are creative with uh, construction. Some are creative with art. Some are creative with, with just high-level thinking. There's all kinds of ways to be creative, and God put that inside of you. And we want to be just like the creator. We want to create. Now, Genesis chapter 2 gives us a little bit more light on this creation of you and I. Verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Now, in this series, we are looking for personal transformation so that we may be better at taking our role in reaching the lost. I don't know what it is about the, the modern church, the, the post-church culture of America, but I believe we have begun to lose uh, the interest of the generation after generation after generation because we talk a big game, but yet we don't ever get to the field. I can say I played baseball, but if I don't go play baseball today, I'm not a baseball player anymore. And we have to say, if we're about a God that is so uh, so just in love with us that he would, he would send his son to collide with our reckless love and give his life for us. And if we believe in that he would do it for us, we have to believe that we're called to reach people. We're called to share his good news. We have to take our responsibility. We have to understand that we have a role. Now, I feel like uh, in a lot, of, a lot of conversations I've been having that politics and, and just American culture has almost tried to, to push the church into a bubble, into a box. And, and while for years the church, every church almost it seemed like was, no, we're not going to do it. We're, you know, we're against this. We're, we're going to keep preaching the good news of Jesus Christ no matter what. We, we, we've lost our spirit to truly be martyrs for God, giving our whole self to him, and we've become quiet. We've become a slumbering giant. And I believe God is saying no more. And it's not just in our church. It's happening all over America. He's saying, I want a revival in America. And if the church won't rise, I will find someone in pop culture. If the church won't speak up, I will find one that will. Can I tell you, church, we will speak up. You need to make that, that, that your mind mantra right now, the thing you live by. I will speak up for the gospel. I will speak up for the justice that is the human right. Every human has the right to know about Jesus Christ. Amen? Yes. We have to take our responsibility. Today, today though, we look at our responsibility to create. Last week, we looked at our responsibility to love God and to love others. Today, it's how do we create kingdom culture? Part of our vision as a church family is just that, to create kingdom culture everywhere. We want to love God. We want to love, create, be, love God and all people, create kingdom culture everywhere, and simply be the church. And today, we look at our creation. We look at our creator. What makes us more like the creator than his other creations? See, God made all things. He spent time and gave attention to all the details from the biggest to the smallest. 
that, that, that if one little uh, shift of, the, of our planet or, or the planets around us were to be different, we would all collide. If one tiny little molecule of your, of your DNA was, was shifted, you wouldn't be able to hold all the water that you are and you would cease to exist. God looked at the macro and the micro and he gave it all the attention that it needed. But when it came to us, Scripture shows us one small differentiating fact, and that is that he stopped and he breathed his own life source into us. Every inhale and exhale is a reminder of our likeness to the one true God. Every time that you draw breath and you release breath, it is a reminder that God made you and that you are like him. He, did, he made everything up. He set it into motion. But when he made us, just before he put us into motion, he went. And that's the thing that sets us apart. We have the very life source of God running through our person. I remember as a child, I, I absolutely loved, loved playing with Legos. Now, you'll notice today I have a little bit of Legos, just a small little set. Uh, I didn't own this already. I wish I had because it would be way uh, cooler of me. But I have a, a, what do we got here, a little fire truck. Um, I, Darwin, you were looking for a... Uh, like a, a lift recently, right? And, and then we've got, a, we've got a little man and a hot dog. He's grilling it, and there's a fire on the tree because he was careless and not paying attention. So we've got a, a nice little uh, city fire rescue mission going on here at the table. And, and can I tell you, as a kid, I, I specifically loved making all the spaceships, the UFOs, the alien stuff. And, and then the other, other side of the spectrum, I loved the underwater, deep sea, like, there's the bad guys, the good guys, and we're all trying to find treasure and, and building these submarines. I loved, loved, loved it. I loved building them and then exploring the deep space quadrants and the unknown parts of the deepest, uh, darkest seas that we have. I, I, remember, I remember taking my time to build them and, and, and to, to get them just right. I remember that I would sometimes spend days because I would, I would be fortunate enough to get one of the big ones and it would take me uh, hours and sometimes days and, and there would be thousands and thousands of Legos. Any parents that have ever had kids with Legos, you know what I'm talking about, thousands of them. And the reason you know what I'm talking about is because late at night you went running in there and just like, like lava or glass, you just, you know, you caught yourself. I've done it, my dad's done it, my mom's done it, everybody's done it. I feel like anybody who's been around Legos has stepped on a Lego and whoever made Legos has to be sitting at home laughing regularly. <laughs> I got all the world. I got them. Joke's on them, right? It's, it's a wonderful toy, but it's also a painful one. I remember, though, scattering these thousands of pieces that I collected that my dad had collected as a kid and, and that I had been able to add to the collection, and there was this massive tote. And, and I remember just spending time building and making and creating to get them just right. You think I would know better, but once I was finished creating anything that I made, but in this instance, my vehicles, I, I would proudly carry them in. I would, I would grab the fire truck and I would proudly take the little man and show dad the helmet and, and his axe and, and everything about the fire truck. I was excited to show my dad, right? I, would, I can remember so many, so many times. I specifically remember a helicopter. Um, I don't know why that has, is in my mind, but I remember it. I, I jumped up to the couch and I was like, dad, look. And, and he was like, yeah, man, that's awesome. Let me see it. And you think I would know better because my dad had this thing that he liked to do. He had this thing he liked to call 
the test. Now, I don't know why he ever did this. I don't know if it was just to be ornery. Maybe he had a little mean streak in him. Maybe it was to truly teach me something that I never learned. I don't know. But my dad would take, take my Legos and he would say, okay, here's the test. Let's see how good, how good you did. If, it, if it's really built strong, it will survive my test. And he would take the Lego and he would hold it up and he would look at it. And I'm, and I'm just sitting there going, dad, don't do it. Dad, don't do it. And he goes, here's the test. Here's the test. Let's see. Oh, and then it would explode and pieces would be everywhere. And it was devastating to eight-year-old Tyler. I lost my mind. Yes, it's in pieces. Some of you are like, what's going on? Yeah, the little man flew out. He's goner. It's over. I think his helmet flew off. Brains everywhere. It's awful. Lego man down, right? And as a kid, I remember I didn't build them necessarily like this. Sometimes it was my own creation. And it was in your own creation. They, they don't really stay together very well. I don't know why. Maybe because it was just me. But I remember taking my dad in there, and, and the axe is over here. Don't, don't, nobody get on that axe. It's sharp. It's by the altar, okay? Uh, I remember taking it to my dad, and he would grab it, and he would just go, the helicopter. <sighs> And there was like maybe one solid piece left, right? It was the test. I don't know why I took it to my dad. I don't know why I would, I would bring it to him to have the pieces fly off. I, I, I don't know why. But my dad would almost always follow up by saying, now let me show you how to build something strong. I don't know. Maybe it was his excuse to play. I don't know. Maybe he broke it just so he could rebuild it with me. But you know what? I can tell you I never loved what my dad made as much as I loved what I made. It, it, it had my, my time. It had my attention. I had, I had invested into the creation of the magnificent toy. These, these figurines had my attention from the very first piece, from the very first moment. They had all of my attention. Can I tell you today that God loves you so much period, exclamation mark, simply that God loves you so much. He made you to be in relationship with him. He doesn't need a, a sturdy test to know if you're worth it or not. He, God, designed you already worth it all. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Maybe it's been a moment since you just stopped and realized that it's not just you loving God, but he loved you so much that as he began to put the, uh, the, 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 the little toes on and, and that one little toe that, that bends a little awkward, he said, ah, that's gonna be unique to you. And, and maybe it's just me, but he, he began to make you and, and, and that freckle and that spot and, and this and that and the way your hair grows in weird circles sometimes. And he began to put you together. And the whole time he said, oh, you're gonna be worth it all. You're not gonna be worth it all, but you already are. And he knew from the very first moment that he would have to release you to decision because sin would soon encounter you. And the whole time, knowing what's coming, he said, you're worth it. You are worth it all. God loves you so very much. You matter most to God. You've had his attention from the beginning. It's almost really, it really is romantic. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's the father and the child. It's the connection. I can remember day one. I, uh, I'm glad I did it. I was sitting, uh, Nora was, was in, well, Nicole was in uh, surgery. She had uh, a C-section, and, and I remember I had a real big beard. At the time, I had hair still, and so I remember it so well because I'm sitting outside and I made a couple little videos and, and I'm nervous and I, I wanted to capture some of the moments and, and I made some with Nicole later and different things and, and I'm sitting there waiting and they're in there prepping Nicole and getting ready to, to bring Nora into this, this thing we call life and, and world, the world we're in and, 
and I have my head cap on, and, and I'm nervous, and my voice is shaky, and they call me back, and, and they, they, I'm in this room, and they're like, hey, you, you can't go in there with that big beard. I mean, my beard was down past my chest, and, and so they grab one of those, the head things, and they flip it upside down, and they put it on upside down. So I got one here, one here. I look like a real goop, and I don't care. Nothing matters in this moment but the fact that Nora's about to come into the world. And so we walk in, and I see things I wish I would have never seen, and they're already like well into the moment, and I'm like, woo, this is some, this is some Halloween stuff. So I sit back, and next to Nicole, and, and she's like, what's going on? I have, they haven't started yet, have they? And I was like, mm-mm. No, they had, they had full out started, okay, y'all? Uh, it was something that was just, it was horrendous. Um, it looked like a, like a, just a, oh, it was bad. Um, and then she started freaking out. She's like, I can't feel anything. I'm like, yeah, that's a good thing. You don't want to feel, you don't want to feel it. Uh, but I'll never forget the nurse, Nicole says, can you just stand up and look? And the nurse says, no, he can't stand up yet. And they didn't want anything coming over the curtain, you know, they didn't want me to, to they didn't want an incident. And finally, the nurse says, you know what? You can stand up if you think you can handle it. And I was like, I, I got this, right? So I stood up, and it was right when they began to, like, singe things back together so that she wouldn't bleed internally and smoke's flying out of her stomach. And it was, it wrecked my mind. But in the same instance, as I remember everything, the reason I remember it all is not because of, of the, the blood and the, the fact that I saw parts of my wife that I never want to see. It was the fact that Nora went, and breathed for the very first time. And I knew in that moment, she had my attention from the very, very beginning. From the very start, that one little breath wrapped me, like I'm all entangled, right? She has me, daddy, I want this. Okay, girl, let's go get it. Dad, I want this. Okay, let's get in the car. Let's drive 20 miles. Let's go pick it up. Whatever you need, baby, I got you, right? Like I'm a bad dad because I just want to give everything to her. Maybe that makes me a good dad, but I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I'm a little wrong, but I just love her so much. And I can only imagine that as I am like my heavenly father in that way, he is exponentially more in love with us. Wow. Wow. I, I just, it blows my mind. But you matter most to God. So how do we begin to create kingdom culture? If this is all about the vision God's given us, uh, how do we begin to create kingdom culture? I can tell you right out the gate, first answer is we have to understand our relationship with and likeness to the creator, our heavenly father. You have, if you want to create kingdom culture, you have to know the creator. You can't create without knowing the one who gives you the authority and the right to create. You have to know the one. You don't go and buy, a, if, you, if you're an artist, Art enthusiasts, you don't go buy a, a, a knockoff piece of paint, uh, painting or artwork that, that's 20 bucks. You want the real thing. You want to know that it's been stamped, sealed, and approved by the creator, by the artist. It's the same thing, and, and it's so much greater and more of importance that we do the same thing with God, the original artist, the original creator. He says, know me, know my word, communicate with me, pray, pray without stopping, without ceasing. You want to create kingdom culture, you have to begin to, to try to wrap your mind around. And maybe it's again, maybe, maybe you're being awakened, you're being woke to this, you're being brought back to something that says, God loves you. God just loves you. And if you want to be like him, you got to create. I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to play video games like my dad. I wanted to build like my dad, create like my dad. I wanted, as a child, I wanted to do what my father did. And as a young Christian, as a, as, a, as a baby in Christ, when I first came, I wanted to do nothing more than to please him. But somewhere along the way, we get tangled up in our own concepts of, of what pleases him. And, and now I don't have a great relationship with my dad. And so, so now it's a little weird and I'm still trying, but ah, uh, 
Can I tell you, it's simple. Love God so much with all your heart. Love them all the same. And then have a relationship that you know him. You can't love him if you don't know him. And I believe if we truly love him, we want to emulate him. If we want to love him, we'll be like him. Christian means to be like Christ. We have to understand our relationship with and likeness to the creator, our heavenly father. Now, Nora has recently started, uh, she started playing with Play-Doh. And, you know, I don't, I have a weird thing about Play-Doh. I really hate it. But every time I sit down to play with her, I'm there for like an hour and a half building things. And I get so wrapped up in Play-Doh. I hate it, but do I? I don't know. Maybe it's something, maybe I'm conflicted inside about Play-Doh. But I don't like it because it tends to get caked on things. Um, not Play-Doh, but there's this slime in a can that does weird things. Uh, my mom thought it'd be funny. My grandma thought it'd be funny, actually, to buy this 50-cent can. It's called Flarp. Um, it's because it makes noises. And they thought it'd be funny to buy this for Nora. It's like 50 cents. And it's this yellow slime. You push it, and air shoots out. It's a mess. But she decided this week, she decided all of her babies needed blankets. So she goes and gets her T-shirts. I don't know why. It's like a thing. She goes and gets her T-shirts. She lays them out on her baby. And she gets... Sometimes it's Play-Doh, but this time it was worse. It was this slime, and I didn't know it. She laid a toy in the slime and then laid a shirt on the ground, toy slime over it, shirt on top of it. So 24 hours later, she brings me these shirts, and they're hanging, stuck together. She goes, Daddy, they're broken. Daddy, they're broken. I'm like, girl, what is this? Oh, my goodness. But we're playing with Play-Doh, and we try to keep her at the table because it's messy. And, and I love it, though, because she is... She's kind of crazy about it right now. She, she, loves, uh, she loves to make mom and dad uh, food to eat. She, she has these little cookie kind of things. She'll make us a cookie. Sometimes she'll make us a hamburger. It doesn't look like a hamburger. I don't know what she thinks it is, but it's a hamburger to her. Uh, she'll make us food. She'll create, uh, as she puts it, all the shapes, Dad. I'm making all the shapes, all of them. And, and for some strange reason, she loves to make snakes. She likes to tell her she has this little thing that like almost makes like ice cream, but it's, it looks like a snake, and she calls it a snake, and she'll run around. She loves to create Play-Doh. Now, I can only stop for a moment in this story and think, as a child, uh, many of us like to do crafty things, artsy things. We like to, to try new things, to make something. And I have to believe that that's because as we're young, we're still so close to being made by him that we're connected to the creator in a way that makes us want to try creating. Somehow, as we get older, we get told we can only do this, this, or that, and that's who we become. But God said, no, 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 no. In who you are, create. So a few months back, Nicole and I, we were talking about the fact that that we really miss uh, one thing above all about Michigan, and that is that you're guaranteed to have beautiful, thick, fluffy, foot and a half, two foot, sometimes four and a half, five foot snow. I mean, beautiful. Oh my goodness, snow. Like, like, okay, Christmas is coming. We want, we want a white Christmas. And I was like, girl, last time we were in Oklahoma on Christmas, we were shooting guns on four wheeling. Okay, like it's a whole different kind of Christmas here. She's like, yeah, I know. So we had this conversation. Nora somehow collects it all like kids do, remembers it. And like a couple of days later, she comes to me. She's like, Daddy, it's snowing outside. And I was like, what you mean, girl? It's no. And I got, I got kind of excited for a minute, right? And I, so I look out the window, and I'm looking, and I was like, baby, there's no snow. So we go outside. It's 70 degrees. I'm confused. She's confused. And I said, I'll tell you what. Let's go to your room. And, and we can talk about it, and we can, we can read your Michigan book. She has a little book about Michigan. And while we're there, she says, Daddy, she grabs a little can of Play-Doh, and she says, Daddy, I, I want to build 
I want to build a snowman. And I was like, oh, we can do that. I don't, you know, a little Elsa love. Do you want to build a snowman? And, uh, and I said, okay, let's go at it. Let's, let's make a snowman. So we sat there, and, and as we made this snowman, I can remember we were sitting, and, and she, she pulled out the, the Play-Doh, and she started kind of rolling it, and, and we made the, the bottom half of the snowman, and, and then we rolled up the, the middle half of the snowman. And, and I remember as we were talking, she was like, Daddy, I love snowman, and it's going to snow, Daddy. I like snow. And she's just going on about this snow. And, and so I said, well, let's finish the snowman. And so we did, and, and we got this little kind of wonky snowman, and, and I poked little, my little fingernail in there to make some weird-looking creepy eyes and a smile. It was great. And then she said, Daddy, what about a nose? Now, I think she only knows this because of Olaf and, and Disney. Thank you, Disney. But we put a little nose on, see, a little cute nose, and got his buttons. And, and as we stood there and we made this snowman, she said, Daddy, I love it. I absolutely love it. And can I tell you, she really did. See, we made a, a really wonky, almost creepy, kind of goofy-looking snowman with no arms, and the buttons are too big, and, and it was just the wrong color. It wasn't even white, white Play-Doh. It was kind of like a weird, dirty brown, like, like you don't want to play with that snow color, you know, like, <laughs> I'll teach you one day, girl. Uh, and, and, and she said, Daddy, I love, I love it with a B. I love it, Daddy. And I said, whoa. And I, and I took a picture of it because I wanted to remember that moment. She loved the, the, the snowballs. I, I love it. I love it, Daddy. Look at the buttons. And then when Mom came home, Dad, Mom, Mom, we made a snowman. Look, look, at, the, look at our snowman, Mom. And, and she was excited. And can I tell you, she loved it because she was able to help create it. We are his church. And even though he builds it as he sees fit, we get to help. We, we, we are made to love his creation as he first loved us. And when we can wrap our heads around the fact that to create kingdom culture, we have to begin to love and love well. That's why it's first. We first have to love him and love them. If we do that, we can then begin to create kingdom culture because Nora, she loved the fact that she got to help daddy. Mommy, look what me and dad dad made. Oh, melt my heart. Like she can't stay two or three forever. I don't want her to, but I do. You know what I mean, parents? Like you want them to grow up, but you don't. Uh, and, and man, it just wrecked me. Psalm 40 tells us that he turns towards us. He hears our cry. He takes us out of the pit and miry clay. He sets us up on a rock to stand. He establishes our steps, puts a new song in our mouth, even prays to him so that many will see and trust in him. Come on now, church. Let me tell you, we, we often, we get to ride passenger. We get to ride shotgun to our heavenly father's mission. He's steering it. He, Jesus took that wheel. He is driving it. And we get to sit passenger shotgun seat. Look at us with dad. We get the window down. The wind's blowing through our hair, maybe. And it's a great day. But can I tell you, occasionally dad says, come on, boy. Come on, come on, sweet girl. Set my lap. You get a drive today. Anybody like, we, we in the country, you know what I mean? I grew up, my dad was like, you want to drive today? I was like, come on, dad. I had my hands up high. I never realized his hands were down low, but I was driving illegal because there's not two seatbelts. My dad's belly does not come built in with a seatbelt, but here I am, illegal, right? Sometimes we get to hop up in dad's lap and we get to hold the wheel because he wants us to drive the mission home. He came, he is the mission, and we get to go out and share the mission, Amen. She loved it because she got to help build it. And I believe God's asking you to fall back in love with him and his mission because you get to help build the kingdom. You get to create kingdom culture everywhere. 
God is so good. Like we are owed anything, like we deserve anything. He's already given us more than we could ever even pay back. He gave his only son as a sacrifice, not to stay dead, but to overcome death. He gave it all, and then he says, I got more and more and more and more. He, he, listen, Oprah doesn't have anything. Where do you think Oprah learned Oprah? I guarantee you she learned it from the benevolent God who loves us and gave his son for us and then said, here's a Holy Spirit for you. Here's a gift for you. You get to drive my mission today. You get to lead that small group next week. You get I believe that God is the God that wants you to do something radical. And sometimes it doesn't even look radical. It's just sitting in dad's lap holding the steering wheel. And sometimes holding that steering wheel can lead to one of the most radical changes, most radical transformations in our lives and in somebody else's life. Man, I think... I feel like I, when I wrote this, as God was giving it to me, I was like, okay, God, I'm going to be so like, whoa, turned into this. Like, I just, I love this. As God was downloading this, I was like, man, God, it just, it speaks to my nature. My, our, our nature is to please God. Our sin nature fights that constantly. We feel like we're always struggling. Can I tell you, uh, I truly believe that things like, like sickness and, 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 and uh, depression and, and self-hate and, and whatever you want, whatever ailment there is out there, it all comes from the tension of sin and the tension of wanting to please God. Our flesh pulls away from God while our spirit pulls to God and we're constantly in inner turmoil and God said, I have set you free to that. You don't have to be in inner turmoil. It's a choice, a decision to turn yourself back to me. Repent means to change the way you think. It's a U-turn mentally. God, I was once thinking differently, but now I'm going to bend myself to you because you will love me so much you're never going to force the U-turn. I'm going to repent and I'm going to change. And repent's not just about sin. Repent's about so much. It's about changing who we are. As a believer, it's crazy how in a moment, God can literally call me to U-turn something else. And I'm going, but God, like, I don't feel like I'm a bad person. Well, you're not a bad person, but I want you to be a better person. It's not about what was wrong or what was bad yesterday. It's about what God wants for us today and tomorrow. We got to learn how to create like the Father. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Because we get to sit in that, that shotgun seat. Sometimes we get to hop up in the lap and, and help drive it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So where do we start with our transformation? The answer to our personal transformation and radical forwarding of his church is the same. We must know the creator and be like him. I believe when we spend time in the presence of God, we walk into the next room ready to truly create kingdom culture. It starts with us humbling ourselves in prayer. It moves with us taking our faith in action and producing or creating kingdom culture everywhere we go. It starts with us being in action. Jesus taught on kingdom culture time and time again. And just a few references we see in Matthew chapter 13, verse 45 and 46. 
It says, again, the kingdom of heaven. This is Jesus teaching in a parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Kingdom cultures, uh, culture requires us to buy in. I don't like sacrificing Nobody does. I can guarantee you Jesus did not love sacrificing. And the reason we see that is because he said, Father, if there's another way, it's recorded in scripture. He didn't love sacrificing. He loved you. We don't like to give up of our wants, our desires, our thoughts, our outlook on things. But sometimes God calls us to a, to a releasing, to a transformation, because there is, is on the other side of that door called transformation, called decision of change, the, on the other side of that door of being willing. God opens it up when you choose, and the salvations pour in because of your obedience, because of your faithfulness. We got to be like the creator. We gotta have buy-in. If we wanna create kingdom culture, we are required to buy in. The, the person sold, uh, when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought in. He let go of all that he had and took in what he had found. Matthew 13, 31 and 32 says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, itsy bitsy tiny, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branch. Kingdom culture requires us to simply sow seed. We may not always see the harvest. We may not make sense of all the harvest. We don't even know if the harvest is absolutely gonna show up, but we're called to sow the seed, to be intentional about how we plant the seed, how we sow it into the earth, how we weave it in to what's gonna nourish it and allow it to grow. And maybe we get to come back one day and see the little bitty sprig, the little bitty leaf, the little bitty growth. And sometimes we get to come back and we get to look at the magnificent tree and we get to see the birds that are making their home, their refuge in that harvest. They're making their life in what was sown. Can I tell you, as you sow, as you buy in, kingdom success, kingdom culture is on the horizon. Matthew chapter 13, verse 47 and 48. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore, sat down and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. Kingdom culture requires us to fish regardless of what the fish may be like. Kingdom culture doesn't say only fish in the pond that you love and the kind of fish that you know have been socked there. Kingdom culture says just start casting out your net. Start throwing out your net and see what I do. In the New Testament, we see where Jesus straight up walks out. And he says, hey, I know you've been fishing all night and it's past fishing time. Like we typically know the fish are already are chilling out. Like you're not going to catch anything right now. But listen, grab your net and throw it onto the other side. Now listen, there is no real difference on a, from a boat, uh, of, especially of that size, if you're on one side to the other side. But here the difference is, in between the, this side and that side, the net had to pass by Jesus. Can I tell you right now, as they listened and obeyed and cast their net yet again, where they had not caught anything before, they were overwhelmed with what? Fish. They were overwhelmed with the, with the reaping, with the reward. 
Jesus says, if you will just stop, stop worrying about what you can control and get into what I can control, when you throw it past me, I will let you bring in the fish, regardless of what they may be like. So we want to be and we want to create kingdom culture. We, we have to buy in, we have to sow seed, and we have to fish regardless of what the fish may be like. If you want to see God move, you have to move. Every time that God does something amazing that I've seen in scripture, there's some kind of shift, a pivot, a, a, a posture change, a movement. The, the pull of Bethesda needed to be stirred so that everybody could run in and race in and the first person in would be radically healed. But guess what? The pull may have brought healing supernaturally and we know only healing comes from God, but there was one person who couldn't get in by themselves and it wasn't the pull that happened. It may have been the stirring of the pull. It may have been the wanting of the man, but when Jesus entered into this lame man's conversation, the lame man was no longer lame. He got up, he picked up his mat, he rolled. What chain? Jesus was between the pool and he was between the man. You want to see something happen, you got to move. And moving looks a little different for all of us. I, I'm not going to run at the pace, literally, as some of you. Some of you are not going to literally run at the pace I could run. And it's the same way in the way we move for God, the way we speak to God. It, we all have our version of moving. And can I tell you, there's not a right or wrong movement. As long as you're moving for God, towards God, with God, there's no right or wrong movement. It can be fast, it can be slow, and sometimes movement even looks like we're being still. But we're moving. You want to see a movement of God? Then move. Just before Jesus ascends to heaven, he calls us to action. Kingdom culture. He says, go. Go make more believers. Go make more Christians. Go grow your church. Go bring people to your small group. Go bring people to Wednesday night family night. Go bring people into youth service. Go make more followers. Synonyms of go are to move, proceed, advance, and progress. Now there's a few more, but those were some of the best ones. I mean, they just, wow. They just kind of sum it all up. To move, proceed, advance, that one got me, and progress. We're not, you know, the sad thing in my life is, is the church has become, like whatever the front line is, it's become the opposite. It's become the back line. Somebody else will get that. Some other church has got better, more means and more capable. That, that, that one person, I mean, they got it together, they can do it. You know, God's not gonna use me. And we've made up so many excuses from all of our vantage points that we've slowly moved from the front line to the back row spiritually. And can I tell you that the only difference between, uh, between those people and, and these people is that those people really believe that God has all the means, that he provides all the ways, that God has nothing that he cannot do, that God is God. And so since God is God, they're going to move. What changed from the church that we love traditionally to the church that is, seems to be slumbering today is that traditionally we came to church expecting God to show up. Traditionally, we came to church bringing somebody. Traditionally, we left the church on a purpose. We left the church on a mission. But in modern church, it's become about my likes, my wants. I, you know what? Can I just get like a director suite at church where I can kick back? Somebody can bring me my popcorn. That's, that's where we're at as a church collectively. But God said, get out of your seats. There is a time for you to rest and there's a time for you you to work. There's a time for you to sow and there's a time for you to reap. There's a time for you to bring in the harvest and the time is now. 
Jesus will come back. I'm never going to try to tell you when. I'm never going to tell you it's soon. I don't know. I don't care to know. I have one purpose. That is to love him and love them. Timeline does not matter. We can have 30 seconds and we need to be forward until the end. Winners of races don't slow down. I was watching the, uh, the Titans-Ravens game a little bit last night, which was mind-blowing. I don't know how the Titans, Tennessee Titans beat the Ravens. If you know anything about football, that should never have happened, according to all the stats and everything that just is football. Like, it just shouldn't have happened, but it did. Can I tell you, I'm watching one of the Ravens, one of the Ravens players. I, I don't remember what position it was. Um, I think it was a wide receiver, but he's running. It was, a, it was not. Anyways, he's carrying the ball, and he's running, and he breaks free. And gas. I mean, he's leaving everybody. And he got, I could see it. He went, he's full speed and he slows down like, I'm about to get that little victory run the last, last 10, 20, you know, 20 yards, like nobody's with me. He didn't realize that while he was slowing down, they were still pursuing. Winners of the race can't slow down. You don't get the touchdown if you give up at the 20 yard line. You've got to run and run and run. God could come back in 30 minutes from now or 50 years from now and it doesn't matter because he said run. He said move. He said go. He said advance. He said progress. He said go change the world cast your net from one side of the boat to the other I'll be between the pool and the lame I will shake the world for you you just go I'm getting goosebumps and my hair's gonna start growing back and it's all patchy (laughs) man it's so good to be in God's house I just love I really love being here with you but I also equally love what God's put on my heart and my mind of where this church is going it's not, about, it's not about who's in this room. We get to reap the, the benefits, but it's about all the empty seats being filled with people who do not know Jesus. Some seats will be filled with great, uh, great believers who are veterans who come along to link up with us because we're going to need those. But many of these seats are going to be filled with salvation after salvation after salvation. And it doesn't come because I proclaim it. It comes because God moves and you move for God. It becomes because we actually get engaged before the outreach plan this summer, before change begins to happen, before we see our desires and our wants and whatever it looks like, it happens because we stand up and we go to work and we say, man, Jesus really messed me up yesterday. He talked to me about creating and I gotta tell you, that means a lot to me. And listen, the pastor's weird and he got goosebumps and his hair started growing back and there was Play-Doh and there's Legos everywhere and and it was nuts, but it was so much fun because God spoke to me. It's not about any of this. It's about all of heaven meeting us. We're called to the front line to be the culture changers, the trendsetters. We are called to take the land. And devotion and obedience does just that. God's really been messing with me. Can I just tell you, I'm not, I'm not even prescribing this for you. He's prescribed it for me personally. I believe God recently spoke to me in the way he does. He, it was almost as if he said, Tyler, your obedience, your faithfulness, you wanna see how you measure up? Show me the last person that you brought to me. And he's not talking about on Sundays. He's not talking about when I preach, because that's not me, that's him. He's talking about when I put the effort in to carry him somewhere. Where's my obedience? Where's my faithfulness? And as I examine that, and I said, whoa, that's how I measure that, God. That's how, that's how I begin to look at that. It's not, it's, not, it's not all about my prayer life. It's not all about my body. It's part of that, but, but really you measure it by how I'm... Hmm. It's how you, how you erupt out of your prayer life. 
It's how you erupt out of your Bible reading. It's how you erupt out of those quiet moments with him. It's how you erupt out of the services where we come together and we go on mission. It's how you move. It's how you advance him. Our obedience and our trust, at least mine, that's how it's being measured right now. My devotion and my obedience should bring kingdom culture. It should show that I'm on the front line. It should show that I'm the trendsetter when it comes to kingdom business. It should show that I'm taking land for him. It's not what I'm doing. It's what he's doing through me. When we talk about what we do, when I do this, I go here, it's us recognizing that God wants us to go there. But it's through his power that brings the harvest. We are the feet. We are the going. He is the doing. So how do we begin to create kingdom culture? We have to buy in and we have to go for God. Creating kingdom culture is best accomplished when we live by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 22, 23 says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. You want to, you want to know how to best catch yourself in the moment and start creating kingdom culture? Try to live by these principles, by these fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. I can promise you, you start showing these fruits in your life, people will see God in you. It's biblical. You live by the fruit of the Spirit that is available to every believer. You show uh, spiritual joy. You show overwhelming peace, patience, kindness. You show all the goodness. You show people what it means to be faith-filled and, and, and gentle and, and have self-control. And listen, we all have areas in that. I can promise you right now we're all reading that line. And some of us are going, oh, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good at that one. Um, I could be better. Ooh, I'm not good at that one. We all have our own words in that line or multiples that we're going, ooh, ah, ooh. And that's why we come together. Because the fruit that I'm best at, at showing off for God is a little different than your fruit. We all have different fruits. It's real fruity in this church, and it's going to be all kinds of good. Can I tell you that God wants you to smile? He wants you to to emit joy. He wants you to be full of love. He wants you to be someone who creates kingdom culture, to buy in, to go, to know the creator, and to emit these kinds of fruit. If, If you don't have anywhere to practice, right here on Sunday mornings is a great place to try I think we all like each other, but you want to practice getting better at some of these things? Walking to church going, today, I'm going to be better at my kindness. I'm going to be better at my patience. When that one person who kind of makes me go, ugh, and that one, when we're 20 minutes into the conversation and, and it's been all about that, you know what, I'm going to be patient another five minutes. Whatever it is, I'm just speaking to like typical cultural norms. I'm going to be a little more gentle. I'm going to hold the door for somebody. You know, we're, we're about to launch a, a greet, uh, greeter team as part of our hospitality ministry that's going to open the door. We're, we're looking in the next few months to, as we start to hit rainy season, we want to buy a bunch of uh, umbrellas, get our, our logo on it so people know, hey, that's, they're coming from the church. And so when you get out of your car, instead of walking in the rain, you have somebody meeting you, showing you kindness, showing you what it means to, to truly, honestly, bring about some joy. Because I don't know about you, but when it's pouring down cats and dogs, and, and I I don't want to get out of my car and somebody walks up with a giant umbrella i smile I'm like, man you're my guy oh, you're my thank you you are my girl you brought me an umbrella you want to practice these things get on teams in this church 
Because if you get on teams in the church, you're going to be in teams off the church campus. And then you start to live, truly, I believe, live the full picture of what it means to be kingdom-minded, then to create kingdom culture, to love him and love them. Love, peace, patience, kindness, joy, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You want to experience a revival in our city? You have to walk closer with Jesus. You have to know the one. You have to let heaven meet earth. You, you have to create kingdom culture. You want heaven to meet earth and become real to people. You want to make the intangible Jesus tangible. You have to carry the kingdom culture as you begin to create it in places that it doesn't exist anymore. We know kingdom culture transcends all barriers, but God is so all of the fruit. He's never going to force himself on anybody. He called us to make them aware of his presence. Transformation starts with your decision to change. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's life in his word. Prayer and surrender changes your life and the lives of those around you. You want to be a better for Jesus. You want to be a better person. Love him so much that it's hard not to love them. And then know the creator and begin to create kingdom culture. Buy in and go. God is speaking to you this morning about you. Will you lean into the transformation that he has for you? God is speaking to you about you for the sake of others. Will you embrace your change so they might come to know Jesus, those that are far from him? Change never feels great, whether you are excited about the change or you're not. When God begins to chisel things away and things begin to shift outside of our control, it doesn't set well. It just doesn't. I don't know why we're made that way. I don't know if it's because sin entered earth that we, the world that we have a hard time just following God's lead. I don't know what it is about change that makes us uncomfortable. Will you embrace your change so that they might come to know Jesus? And lastly, what are you waiting for? There's no more room for excuses. You have every possible avenue that there is to connecting with the God that is the one true God. Jesus is here this morning.